Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending October 8th, 2022. This week, five stories in 10 minutes. I'm Kim Hollis, starting the 20-day countdown for Disney World. Yay! Again, guys, you guys are always on your way to Disney World or on your way back from Disney World. It has it's been actually, almost two years. That's what I started to say. This is pretty much the longest we've gone. Wow. Yeah. Also, Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, recording from a secret location. I could tell you where it was, but oh, hold on a second. Mom, I'm trying to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and someone rushing back to the UT Vols bandwagon. That's right. Kim's negative sports karma has apparently run out after 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burial. Back from Barcelona. 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 I guess you just have to be there. Dick. Anyway, (laughs) this week, the streaming stories have been piling up like cordwood, so we're going to run through them in our rapid fire. First up, news broke a couple of weeks ago that Sinclair's Diamond Sports subsidiary and their Bally Sports Regional Sports Networks were on the brink of insolvency and that the professional sporting leagues, MLB, NBA, and NHL may have to buy the company to keep their games on TV. Is there anything more to add to this story than just then I told you so? Does pointing and laughing count? (laughs) (laughs) How would would that even work with three different leagues owning a network? See, that's what's fascinating about this. You know, we're going to cover this over the next three months or so. So, you know, we're not going to go into a deep dive right now or anything, but Major League Baseball and the National Basketball Association have less reason to do this. Why they would actually take over this stuff is because they want to get rid of all the local blackouts that we're always complaining about. But the NHL would actually lose a lot of money if they lose the Bally Sports broadcast because they're still making a lot of money from linear advertising, which means that out of all three leagues, the one that gets the fewest viewers, the NHL, is the one that is most economically pushed and motivated to go ahead and make this acquisition. So Bally is kind of using the threat that maybe MLB or NBA buys it to hope that NHL does something. But NHL's commissioner, Gary Bettman is in constant communication with the commissioners of baseball and basketball. And they're all like, oh, no, they're going to die. Their creditors are telling them you need to be paying your bills. It's gotten really bad. You're doing distressed loan rates as it is. You're screwed. We want to get paid. Make something happen. So basically, the sword of Damocles has been hanging over Sinclair's head for a while now. And the threads are starting to really, really untether. Yeah, I'm not sure I have much to add to this. Just a quick background. When Disney bought Fox, they were forced to divest themselves of the regional sports networks that Fox owned, and they sold them to Sinclair for what, at the time, a lot of people perceived to be a bargain. But at this point, it looks like Disney 
Rob Sinclair blind and Sinclair ended up with a huge financial burden, a lot of debt. And the only way they were going to make this work would be if they were to be able to pivot to streaming. The original perception was, do they even have the rights to stream any of these games online? They eventually concocted a plan where they would be able to stream certain games in certain regions, but not nationally. But it took them too long to launch their streaming service and they offered it for much too high of a price. And at this point, they are just too far into the hole and there's no way for them to get out. I don't see how they make up all the debt that they're carrying. It would probably take them in the vicinity of dozens, if not hundreds of years of profits to make up the money that they owe right now to all their debt holders and bondholders. It's just not a feasible scenario. This goes back to, you know, if you could just get one subscriber to pay you like a million dollars a month, maybe it's going to work. But that subscriber has not materialized. There's just no way that they're going to be making enough money to keep this endeavor afloat. And if MLB, NBA, and the NHL want their games to be carried on any kind of linear system, either they save this by buying it up or they have to launch their own alternative platforms. Well, I'm going to disagree with you slightly there. There is a third scenario, and that is they let the creditors close on Diamond, and then they turn around and they buy back the streaming rights from the creditors for pennies on the dollar. And that is exactly why baseball in particular has been aggressive about saying, no, we're not going to save them because they realize that any negotiation Diamond Sports has is only helpful to Diamond Sports. The overall picture here is heavily, and I mean heavily in the favor of Major League Baseball. So that's kind of the scenario we're looking at. And then when we circle back to the Disney thing that Raul mentioned, I want you to just keep this number in mind. Disney spent $71 billion on the Fox assets. They got $10 billion back for this particular thing, reducing the price to $61 billion. Keep that math in mind as we talk about a different subject in a little bit. Okay. Over at Warner Brothers Discovery, the layoffs continue as the company attempts to deliver on $3 billion in cost savings. Write downs like the cancellation of the Batgirl movie and layoffs amounted to about a billion dollars in its second quarter. Meanwhile, CEO David Zasloff had to come out and deny rumors that he was just readying the company for a sale or merger in the near future. They may hit that $3 billion mark in cost savings, but it's all going to be on paper. All the bad press that they've had has already cost the company billions in valuation as its stock price has plummeted. And the bad blood with creatives isn't easing up anytime soon. Animators who had their shows erased from existence remain outraged. And more broadly, the guilds aren't exactly in the mood to appease studios right now. The Writers Guild is already on the warpath. And the moves by Warner Bros. Discovery probably aren't going to go over too well with them. As for a potential potential sale or merger, I doubt David Zaslov is going to have much say in that matter one way or another. Shareholders certainly aren't happy, and some are in fact suing, saying that HBO Max subscriber numbers were artificially inflated to inflate the cost of the company when the merger happened, and they think they're entitled to have some money back. Yeah, let's be clear that Zaslov will have as much influence over this as Jason Kyler did over the Warner Brothers Discovery merger. 
larger, which is to say he's a eunuch here. As for the HBO Max subscriber inflation, well, that's a topic we discussed wherein we learned, it's been like 18 months ago now, that HBO Max was listing potential people who could theoretically sign up for free as subscribers. And for whatever reason, some of the shareholders didn't pay enough attention to realize that. And so now there's a giant class action suit happening. In short, HBO Max once had excellent leadership, and now it doesn't, and they're drowning, and the water is at their nose, and I don't think it's getting any less wet anytime soon. And if you're a layperson and not into business, because that's obviously why these moves were made, but you see movies being canceled, shows being removed, why would you want to subscribe to this service? Because you just look at it, what's happening, and you think it's dying. I think the one saving grace, or at least the one that Zaslav thought he had going into the third and fourth quarters of this year was going to be theatrical movies. They were focusing very heavily on two major releases and a third, much more minor release, the House Party reboot, in addition to, of course, the upcoming DC movie, Black Adam, and their marquee movie, Don't Worry Darling. And uh, I'm looking forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to hear from Tim just how well that movie did at the box office because it's going to be huge, right? Uh, yeah, just just listen to the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so we talked about how uh, it was probably just boosted by the controversy and then fell off a cliff. So their entire 2022 prospects right now are banked on the DC movie Black Adam and the House Party reboot. Wow. Yep. It's all on you, Rock. <laughs> and Black Adam doesn't look very good. It's very specific to DC fans. If you're a DC fan and you see this and you see Hawkman and Dr. Fate and all the other DC heroes in the trailer, that gets you very excited. But that has no appeal outside of DC fans. We'll we'll just have to wait and see. The Rock has shouldered heavy burdens before. Let's see if he can deliver. Meanwhile, a story we've been watching closely may be coming to a head as Lionsgate continues to weigh its future. The mini major studio also runs the streaming service and cable channel Stars. And while initially they were expected to sell Stars, they've now indicated that they may want to keep the streaming service and sell their filmmaking operation instead. But don't call it Stars, as they then immediately rebranded it as Lionsgate Plus in regions outside the United States. Internationally, the streaming service is or was known as Stars Play. But since Disney also has a service called Star, and let's not get into it, Disney has a streaming service called Star internationally. This rebranding essentially eliminates that confusion. In the US, Star is not a brand that Disney is known for. So Lionsgate continues to operate with Stars in the US, but everywhere else in the world where Disney has their own service called Star, it is now called Lionsgate Plus. They fought the star and the star won. Folks, this is a simple one. Lionsgate was matched up against Disney in a fight and the fight went predictably. That's all this story is. It could very well be that Disney just cut them a huge check and Lionsgate, who continues to struggle financially in certain aspects, was more than happy to take the money and change their name. The other part we haven't really discussed yet is Lionsgate is also spinning off its actual theatrical distribution company, which means that they had their choice of theatrical and streaming. And at least based on the information we have right now, which could change, I want to emphasize that, but based on the information we have, they have chosen streaming as the anchor of their future, not exhibition. And that's an important story on streaming into the void. 
Stars isn't the only streaming service being rebranded as Epics will be rebranded as MGM Plus in January. <laughs> I'd like to point out that this is Amazon's third streaming service as they also operate Amazon Prime Video and Amazon Freebie. Although I feel they've never really been able to deliver on Prime Video as a brand. Now, they might have great shows on it, but can anyone tell me what the URL is to visit the Prime Video site? Uh, I usually just go to Amazon and then wait for the giant ad to get me to watch, you know, like football or Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> That's exactly it. There is no specific destination URL if you're in your browser. There is a Prime Video app. Right. That's where I feel I'm different from everyone else because I literally have the instant video page bookmarked. So that's one of the ways I'm not like on yeah. But if you look at that URL, I think it's like amazon.com slash prime hyphen video. No one knows that off the top of their head. If you don't bookmark it, you go to amazon.com and then you search for something and you know, and you get, you know, shampoo and uh the latest shows. <laughs> so yeah, no, Amazon's got a branding problem. Their their name honestly is a dirty word in some circles, which I'd argue is why they call their service Prime Video, not Amazon Prime Video. And yet they seem to be leaning into the controversy. They recently launched Ring Nation, a sort of America's Funniest Home Videos clip show using exclusively video from Ring doorbells and other in-home security systems. Ring is Amazon's home security brand. Maybe they shouldn't be reminding everyone that they've got international <laughs> surveillance system that they then turn into TV programming. Over at Peacock, after a first quarter where they reported zero subscriber growth, they announced the addition of 2 million paid subscribers, up to 15 million total for Q2. Everyone wants to watch the WWE Network now because Triple H fixes everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird calculus. Zero subscriber growth one quarter, 2 million new subscribers the following quarter. And that was like, what, a 15% increase over what they already had? That's not even the best part to me. People are wondering whether or not Peacock is inflating their numbers because they've gone up by 2 million. Let me be clear. This is a nothing growth. I mean, absolutely nothing. And I can demonstrate that. We were just talking about Stars. Lionsgate is in a lot of trouble right now, and they're trying to make do. Stars had 4.3 million additional subscribers for its most recent quarter. More than twice what Peacock has managed in the last two quarters behind, and they're in trouble. And they have 26.3 million subscribers worldwide. Peacock is having to thump off their chest about having 15 million. This is pathetic. I am willing to cut Peacock some slack. With so many different ways to get Peacock for free, I'm surprised that they have as many paying subscribers as that. 15 million paying subscribers. They also reported 30 million active users in the last quarter. That is 30 million different people that signed into Peacock in the last quarter. That makes a lot more sense to me, given that all Comcast, Cox, and Charter subscribers get Peacock included in their, in their cable package. I think we need to be looking at Peacock a lot more like the ad-supported video-on-demand or what they call now fast or free ad streaming services. We need to be comparing them to something like Pluto TV or Amazon Freebie, where you don't have to pay to get to the service because so many people don't pay to get to the service. The fact that there is 15 million people actually paying for Peacock to me is shocking. A, how don't you already have it? And B, what is on that service that you are willing to give them money to see? Uh, I guess reruns of The Office and like Tim said, the new and improved WWE. <laughs> I'll grant the new part. 
And that brings us to sunny point number two. There's a lot of smoke to the fire that Comcast is considering a godfather offer of $25 billion or so to acquire Hulu back from Disney. Disney has established the fact that Comcast's share one-third is worth at least $10 billion, which means Disney's share two-thirds is worth at least $20 billion, probably $25 billion in a godfather offer, which on top of the $10 million they already got would mean that they've gotten $35 billion for the parts they didn't need from the Fox acquisition, thereby giving them almost exactly a 50% discount on that purchase. This is going to be an exciting conversation for the next few months, it it will come to a head within about the next calendar year. The fact of the matter is that this is going to be resolved sooner rather than later. We can't stay in this stasis forever. Disney has hedged their bets in both the fact that Hulu as a streaming service does not exist anywhere outside the US, and that is where they have Star. They have made noise that they want to launch Star in the US, and that would essentially subvert the existence of Hulu. But at the same time, Hulu remains a robust and well-known streaming platform. So do they want to get rid of it? And it's simply a matter of whether or not Comcast sees any value in it. And if Peacock doesn't really get off the ground, then having a already established streaming service to migrate people from Peacock over to it makes a lot more sense for them than to try to keep spending money trying to prop up Peacock. There's a lot of calculus going on here. Keep in mind that if Comcast were to inherit or in some way purchase Disney's share of Hulu, they'd be getting a streaming service with essentially zero content because the shows that are on Hulu are Disney's shows and those would probably migrate over to Disney+. Plus. All they're getting is an established subscriber base and maybe some commitment from Disney that they can keep their shows on that platform for like a year or two. It's a heck of a gamble. And given the situation that Comcast already is in, in terms of debt, the fact that Brian Roberts, the CEO of Comcast, would be willing to drop 20, 25 billion more on a streaming service on a gamble. I don't know if he can swing it, but then there's a lot of really bad decisions being made in the uh, C-suite over at Comcast these days. This could just be another one. Disney, they could take it or leave it. I think it makes a lot more sense to normalize everything under the star brand and rid themselves of Hulu, you know, consolidate everything into a single street streaming service. But uh, they'll, they'll go either way. If they don't have to pay Comcast at the end of this deal and instead they get a big check, I, I think they'd be uh, they'd leap at that opportunity. Finally, as movie theaters struggle and both Regal and AMC teeter on the brink of bankruptcy, they're getting some relief from an unlikely source. As Netflix just struck a deal to bring the Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion, to all three of the biggest chains for one week on Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's right, exhibitors. Bend the knee right now. They'll take it and they'll like it. (laughs) One week. One week. Look, Netflix is always trying to get their movies out in theatrical anyway. Depending on the year, the Academy will only consider movies for uh, the Academy Awards if it has been released theatrically. And so Netflix will try to get their movies in theaters, but usually that means small independent theaters. In fact, I believe Netflix owns a couple of theaters in New York and Los Angeles. And so they can just put them out there for a couple of days and say, look, theatrical release. Now we qualify for the Academy Awards. The fact that they have gotten AMC Regal 
Regal and Cinemark to bend to their will just shows you in how hard of position the theater chains are. And to the credit of the theater chains, this is a get for them. They need stuff on their screens or people are not going to go there and pay the exorbitant prices that they have to pay for popcorn and soda because that's where the money's going to be. If you're out there in theaters for only one week, the bulk of that money is going to go to the production house that produced that movie. And in this case, Netflix. And so the only benefit that AMC, Regal and Cinemark get out of this is the fact that they get people in seats and they sell them expensive popcorn and soda. What if I told you it wasn't a wide release? Apparently, according to Deadline, it will be, oh, you know, 600 theaters or so. That just shows how much Netflix has the theater chains uh, by the you know what. Oh, more than that. I mean, legitimately, Netflix could use cash on hand to buy Cineworld whenever it wanted. It just doesn't want. Cineworld being the parent company of Regal in the U.S. Yeah. Who wants to get into the brick and mortar theater business at this point. It's clear that these companies have demonstrated that they cannot stay afloat. It is a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. People will not go to the movies until there are movies to see, and there are no movies being released in theaters, so people aren't going to the movies. Putting Glass Onion in theaters may change that dynamic somewhat. There's always been the argument that People are leaving cash on the table by not putting their movies in theaters first and then putting them on streaming later. The appeal of subscribing to a streaming service is that you get to see shows and movies that you can't see in theaters. If Netflix movies start showing up in theaters, less people may subscribe to Netflix. Whether that's true or not, I don't know that anyone's willing to gamble millions or even billions of dollars to find out. So that's why Glass Onion is going to theaters, but only for a limited time. Okay, Tim, let's talk about the ratings. We are looking at the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, September 5th to Sunday, September 11th, 2022. And I got to say, this was a pretty big week in streaming. Uh, Your top original series, as I hinted at last week, is Cobra Kai. The fifth season of 10 episodes arrived September 9th. 1.7 billion minutes watched for 50 total episodes. It's not that we didn't know it was coming, but I feel it's very under the radar. I think previous seasons of Cobra Kai have had a lot more promotion than this one. Yeah, that's that's possible. And actually, we've now been doing this podcast and this rating segment so long, we've actually seen three seasons of the show arrive. So I guess it helps that they've released them fairly quickly as the third season was the beginning of 2021 and the fourth season was actually the beginning of this year. But I think they tend to... It is an extremely clearly popular show, and I think they don't really need to invest as much in the promotion because people binge watch the hell out of it, and then that's it. So I think it actually will disappear pretty quickly from here as like the previous seasons did. I think it's actually more coverage than you're recalling because I vividly recall either Kim or myself doing one of the what we've been watchings about the show's second season when it was on, what was it called? Google Red? YouTube Red. It's actually survived a dead service, which is remarkable in and of itself. But the other thing that amuses me to no end here, the storyline this season is basically saying the villain from Karate Kid 3 wind up against every other hero and villain from every other Karate Kid movie. Karate Kid 3 made less than 39 million worldwide during its entire domestic run. If you had told (laughs) anyone involved with that at the time, that, you know, Terry Silver would become the big bad of one of the most watched television series ever, it would have been laughable. I mean, absolutely <laughs> laughable. 
we don't really appreciate enough what they've done with Cobra Kai. We really don't. Yeah, for sure. And I also think it's important to point out that Cobra Kai is usually like 30 to 35 minutes long. So it's a shorter show than most. So 1.7 billion minutes is probably a lot. lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised that it's here. It just seems to some, it feels like it comes out of nowhere and then goes away as quickly as it, as it showed up. But I think we'll see that reflect in the next couple of weeks. I do believe that this is the penultimate season. There is one more climatic season to wrap up the the series. And so mm-hmm. this is this is the stopgap to get us to that climax where at this point, I wouldn't rule out Hillary Swank showing up in the last season and straightening everything out. In <laughs> uh, second is a show we saw last week, The Devil in Ohio. Uh, 1.3 billion minutes. I knew that was going to take a jump and we knew Cobra Kai was still going to come out ahead of it, cheating off of uh, Netflix's information. But geez, that's very solid and impressive for the show. But yeah, just out of nowhere, this the show neck and neck with Cobra Kai and the, sh- the show in third, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Uh, 1.2 billion minutes now for three episodes. You know, still solid, still impressive. And between this and the premiere of Thursday Night Football, which is not on this ratings chart, this has got to be a really strong week for Amazon Prime. And yet we've also learned something somehow even more annoying than whiny Star Wars fans, which is whiny Lord of the Rings fans. Because it seems <laughs> like all the people who watch it are also the ones who just buys it <laughs> it actually takes me back a long time to a late friend of ours who was just a huge lord of the rings fan and i will never forget the joke that one of our friends we'll call her wiggy made about him where he ranted for seriously six thousand words about the first lord of the rings movie and then gave it a nine out of ten <laughs> And that really does encapsulate Tolkien's super fans where if everything is like 99%, they will talk about the 1% that's wrong so much and not appreciate what's good about this. My understanding of this is that it's turning into a Sauron origin story. I think that's brilliant. I mean, from a storytelling perspective, that is every bit as good as Baby Yoda to me. And yet all I see online is outrage about it. I'll have to look up the reactions because I I seriously do not see anyone talking about this, this show in my social media. So I will, have to, I will have to do some, do some digging because I would love to see. Oh, I couldn't stand this, this episode. Nine out of 10. More of that, please. Yes. Uh, Stranger Things is still here in fourth, 599 million minutes. So, you know, we, we drop off with from the newer stuff to to something that's been around for, for a while. She-Hulk Attorney at Law is up to four episodes and fifth, 493 million minutes. Yet this was the Madison episode, which spawned a bunch of, of memes and definitely something I saw people talking about online. So this is either going to be its peak or plateau, or maybe it became viral enough for people to decide to check it out as it continues to add episodes through the rest of the month. Um, they are still really short, and I'd actually already call this one of the better performing Marvel series. I think Disney should be really thrilled with how this one is done, especially considering how people were criticizing the CGI and everything. The CGI in this doesn't matter, truly. I will talk about it more later, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah, there are three or four times where it's definitely distracting, but it's, again, it's the 99% versus the 1%. Almost Mm -hmm. everything you're watching in She-Hulk is entertaining, and that's the end of it. Uh, Something new in six, uh, The Imperfects, 465 million minutes viewed for 10 episodes, which arrived on the 8th of September. Uh, I recall 
talking about it during what's new for that week, but not much else. It's like some sort of great value superhero teen thing. See, you guys remember as much as I do about it. I do not remember this at all. No, I do because what I'm trying to remember, there was like a 1980s show that had the same premise where, you know, they experiment on teens and they develop monstrous powers. And I was actually sitting here trying to remember the name of that more than this. It was kind of similarly titled. I had to go back and check the what's new for that week to make sure we did talk about it. And yes, we did. And David did his monotone gimmick when describing the the premise. So yeah, it was one of those shows. And yeah, here it is somehow. Yeah, not unexpected, but you know, it, it looks like it's after the top three, it is a pretty bunched together week. And so I don't, I don't predict we'll see this again after this week, but who knows? All right. So as we jokingly predicted a month ago, during this ratings week, Queen Elizabeth died. So I guess to console themselves, a whole bunch of people watched The Crown as it returns to the ratings chart in seventh, 345 million million minutes viewed for 40 episodes. I do wish people weren't so predictable. Mm, yeah, no new episodes there. This is simply right. in relation to the passing of the Queen. And it was still top five on Thursday when I looked. So it is... <laughs> The sustained carryover, the people are hooked, and so they're watching the whole thing now. So that was a great call to them. Were, were they hoping there was an update? Like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I mean, oh, she she died. Let's see if they added new episodes. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. Originals wraps up with stuff we've seen for a while now. Virgin River is still here in a three hundred forty-three million minutes. Echoes in ninth, three hundred twenty-four million minutes, and Sandman three hundred six million minutes in tenth. All right, Tim has finally resisted the temptation to do the echoes, echoes, echoes joke. Thank God. Yeah, th- that was enough of that. Uh, we do have some big new arrivals on the movies chart this week. Uh, I guess we should mention that this is the week when Disney Plus Day occurred uh, because it is led by Thor Love and Thunder. Even 1.5 billion minutes. Boom. Yeah, that's good, right? Yes. That's a lot of people saying, wait, that's Christian (laughs) Bell? Yeah, (laughs) that is a lot of people saying that. I feel like this this came and went. It did. I mean, it did solid in theaters, but it, it just didn't feel like it had a lot of staying power. Maybe I just I are people really just now are are they trained to wait for the Marvel stuff now on just to show up on Disney Plus? Are they are they willing to wait rather than see it in the theater, even though you know it's can be two wildly different experiences between you know theater and at home. I think there's some of that. I also think that there really is an issue with saturation with the various MCU products. There hasn't been that mind-blowing project since No Way Home, which wasn't mm-hmm. that long ago, but it also is several projects ago, and that kind of creates a cyclical behavior of sorts. I actually think this is a phenomenal number, and it sounded like in your voice you did as well, oh, but yeah. I think we both agree it's probably going to drop 50% or more next week, right? Yeah. Even though this may just be the weekend number, I don't exactly know when it showed up. I think probably on Disney Plus Day. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so this is like ha- almost exactly half a week. Oh, okay. It was the middle of, middle, middle of the week. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's going to drop hard from, from here, but it'll it'll hang around for, for a few weeks. Yeah. It's actually the second film that surprises me more yeah. and kind of reinforces the fact that the Disney Plus day is a good idea. Yes, because Disney does have the second movie on the movie's chart this week. Also with a very solid number, 930 million minutes for Pinocchio. This was the that live was, action adaptation starring Tom Hanks, right? And was yep. not well received and, at all. Yes, yeah, so it, it was not good, right? Yeah, so I I'd expect this to fall off harder. There are actually no other animated ones this week. We have a uh, Encanto free week again, which is which is surprising, but I, I think people will will go back to to that in in due time after the the big debut of all the you know Disney Plus Day stuff. 
Meanwhile, in third, guys, it's Morbin time because Morbius arrived on Netflix. <laughs> 610 million minutes viewed. I was going to do it if you didn't. And let me tell you, we were watching Matt Smith earlier and I got sad remembering he was in this. <laughs> Oof. My favorite fact about this movie is despite flopping, uh, some people managed to whip up a social media campaign that got enough attention to convince the studio to put it back in like a thousand theaters for a week and no one still went and saw it. (laughs) How gullible do those suckers look? At what point did these people in charge of these comic book products go, wait a minute, the people saying they're fans are actually making fun of us. Yeah, you, you really need to like have someone extremely online to analyze any sort of social media campaign. Uh, because they, you're probably being made fun of rather than like actual genuine grassroots support for something. In other words, it is not, in fact, Morbin time. No, it is not. As, as opposed to, say, like the Madison and Wongers thing, which which is hilarious. And because people loved that that character and that and, and those moments. Yeah, this was in, entirely just making fun of how bad and how much this movie flopped. <laughs> <laughs> but yet here it is on Netflix. That's not a bad number, but it's probably going to drop off pretty quick from here because this movie was also not good. Uh, something else new in fourth, End of the Road. Unfortunately, not a Boys to Men biopic, but 598 million minutes for this like, uh, oh, okay. Wait, Queen, Queen Latifah, Ludacris? Okay, really? Did we even talk about this? This isn't real. I, I, I we, believe we did. We did. It's a, um, it's one of those movies where they find a big bag of money and now bad guys are out to kill them. Yeah, your, your top three people build are, yes, are Queen Latifah, Ludacris, and Bo Bridges. They've been looking to do a project together for some time. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Good enough to get to make it on, uh, on the ratings. Not too surprised it's it, it's here, given given the names. And it, again, this should probably drop off fairly, fairly soon. Do you realize how demoralizing it must be to be people greenlighting projects and Netflix? It's just basically the sign on the door says, sure, why not? <laughs> It is a pure shovelware format as something that showed up online this week and we didn't we didn't discuss, but how terrible most of the movies and shows the streaming services are putting out and they just keep coming. I mean, you listen to what's new every week, you hear us discuss some of these shows and we're just like, this can't be good or who would watch this or who is this for? There's somebody drinking at a bar right now going, I can't believe they chose that over my Queen Latifah Bo Bridges <laughs> concept. Queen Latifah has a, a show that I assume was pretty popular on TV right now, so I don't know why she needs to do this, but maybe they <laughs> right. just offered her a bunch of money. She's also just an incredible, talented person in all phases. So it's one of those things where you see this, it's like, you know, I'm sure the check cleared. I'm happy for her for that purpose, but you know, she doesn't need this and it's, I don't know. You know what? It's a hit. I should shut up. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure Netflix is actually happy with, with how this did. Anyway, here's some things we've seen before on the movies chart. Me time in fifth, 418 million minutes. Elvis from HBO max, 400 million minutes. Love in the Villa, 334 million minutes. Despicable me Two, 321 million minutes. This is 40. Also still here in ninth, 286 million minutes. And movies wraps up with The Poison Rose, a 2019 movie starring John Travolta and Morgan Freeman. And John Travolta's daughter. Yes. It returned to Netflix on September 1st, much like This Is 40 did. And I guess that's how people spent their Labor Day, because... That's the only reason it's here. Again, That's a weird choice. Yeah. Would you guess it's Rotten Tomatoes score? <laughs> is it sub 10%? Yes. It okay. is actually 0% fresh. <laughs> wow. 
again, do better people. I, I know we are paralyzed with choice at times, but just because Netflix thinks you should watch something doesn't mean you should actually watch it. Putting the labor in Labor Day. So in Acquired, it took a couple episodes, but finally the top acquired show, unfortunately, is House of the Dragon. Now with four episodes, cracking one billion minutes. So hobbits are still beating dragons, but it's getting closer? Exactly. Yes. And I think it's in, in due time. I don't know how many episodes House of the Dragon is supposed to be, but yeah, that, that will keep adding uh, viewers, I believe. And also this one is watched both on HBO Max and on HBO itself. So it, yeah. it splits its viewers some. Yep. And it also has a much bigger, yeah, it has a much bigger viewing footprint. Yeah. And that's also causing spillover to, you know, people keep watching Game of Thrones. That's in second, 805 million minutes. But it's mostly, you know, shows we've, we've seen before. Friends and Big Bang Theory are here, so we're still going with the four HBO Max shows. Bluey still here in six, 524 million minutes, and we do have the return of Call the Midwife, 506 million minutes for now 90 episodes. But yeah, I mean, if you look at the overall, that was five shows and or movies over a billion. So this was a pretty impressive week. You know, Pinocchio was right behind it, 930 million. So yeah, it's it's a good time a good time right now. It's probably going to get more interesting. We are a couple weeks away from getting the numbers for that Jeffrey Dahmer series, but uh hold on to your butts for that one. And that's probably all I've got for the ratings this week. Do better people. Seriously. Well, thanks for that, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week at Netflix, the series based on the Grendel comic book isn't moving forward, even though production has already wrapped up. It's going to be shopped to other streamers. Just pointing out that this is yet another series that was produced by Dark Horse Comics, and I, for one, wouldn't count out the Embracer group who own Starworks Comics, they are quietly becoming a force to be reckoned with in intellectual property and streaming content. And if they want the show to be on streaming, they're going to find a way to get it onto streaming. Jason Bateman is carrying on his relationship with Netflix after the success of Ozark, as he's going to direct the FBI surveillance thriller Dark Wire for the streamer. Who would have thought that the star of Teen Wolf 2 would have such a successful second career? The Katherine Heigl-Sarah Chalk friendship drama Firefly Lane will be ending after season two at Netflix, probably because no one wants to work with Katherine Heigl. Oh, no, what a shame. (laughs) (laughs) It did make an impact in the ratings, but at the same time, I just don't know that it really broke outside of certain demographics. Basically, what we're seeing is that their lifelong friendship is only two seasons. How sad. Finally, at Netflix, superstar author Harlan Coben has extended his contract at Netflix and has committed to bringing his character, Myron Bolitar, to the service. Coben's been running under the radar for some time at Netflix. Despite being an American author, he's had three Netflix series produced in the UK, two in Poland, and one each in Spain and France. I wonder if maybe just this first round was a test balloon and he's happy enough with what's come of it that he's willing to re-up with Netflix, or maybe Netflix brought him a a bigger truckload of money. This is the lion's share of Coben's content. He's bringing now his protagonist of 11 of his books to the streamer. This is, I think, what everybody's been waiting for. So I think he's about to break out and no more Polish and Spanish series for him. 
I, for one, cannot wait for the Coben verse. <laughs> At Apple TV Plus, Vince Gilligan, hot off his success with Better Call Saul, has signed on for his new show with the streamer. And he's bringing Better Call Saul co-star Rhea Seahorn with him. Hell yes. Hell yes. Yeah. I, for one, cannot wait for the Gilligan verse. <laughs> you may notice a difference in enunciations there and in tone. <laughs> At Prime Video, the Josh Brolin Ranch Paranormal Alien Thriller Outer Range is getting a second season. All you need to know about season two, scrolls. <laughs> Someone watched Yellowstone and said, you know what this needs? Aliens. Yep. <laughs> At Disney Plus, the Armor Wars series based on Don Cheadle's War Machine character is being redeveloped into a theatrical movie instead. I suppose that's a vote of confidence in the project, but at the same time, it means we're not going to be getting an Armor Wars series on uh, on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, what I'm actually taking from this is they decided there wasn't enough story for a television series. That's kind of the calculus that happens, and I think it's fascinating, where they decide, all right, two hours is a movie. If we have three hours or more, we can either cut some of it and stick it in the movie, or we can stretch it into a series. And this is a case where they looked at what they had, and they said, you know what? I think we can do a tight two hours here, so let's not stretch. From a memo to the writers of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I actually was writing about that earlier today. That's kind of a different situation because they had a story about biological weapons causing a pandemic and, you know. Ooh, yeah. At Hulu, the romantic comedy series Maggie has been canceled after one season. Maggie the Psychic should have seen this coming. <laughs> <laughs> we saw it coming. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, the Taika Waititi produced series Reservation Dogs has been renewed for a third season. That's great. This show just seems to get a lot of buzz. I've only made it halfway through the first season, but I mean, given the subject matter, it, it's different yet entertaining. And I want to be able to commit to the rest of it. So I'm, I'm glad it's getting a third season. At Peacock, the Queer's Folk reboot never caught fire and has been canceled after one season. I don't know if there's much more to add to this. Uh, Queer's Folk has always been a touchstone for the uh, LGBTQ plus community, and this one just really did not click. It just felt too late and kind of cynical in nature. Like, we have this brand, we should reboot it, even though we don't have new ideas. And that's, that's the danger when you do this sort of thing. But in their attempt to find something that does click, Peacock is trying their hand at adult animation, launching the NPR parody series In the Know from creators Mike Judge and Zach Woods. I like everything about that sentence. <laughs> of course, when they say adult animation, they're talking Mike Judge type of adult animation. Yes. So this is the creator, of course, of King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead. It could very well work. The next bad Mike Judge story is the first bad Mike Judge story. We have friends who, uh, <laughs> suffice to say, aren't in love with him as a person, but I revere his talent. Revere it. Finally, in a huge vote of confidence from AMC, the launch of season one of Interview with the Vampire was accompanied by the news that the series had been renewed for a second season. 
that it's is great, so watch it yeah fantastic i'm glad that we're not going to be left hanging after season one i think that if they play it right they've got years and years of content here so this is i think what vampire lestat fans have been wanting for a very long time after a couple of movies only one of which really did well this is the opportunity to finally deliver properly on uh, the Anne Rice series. As always, we finish the show with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I'll let David talk about the second item, but I'll talk about Hocus Pocus 2, which is just great fun. It just lets the Sanderson sisters go for it, and they are having a lot of fun. And as a result, you will also have a lot of fun. It is by no means perfect, but I still recommend it. If you liked the first one, you are going to like the second one a great deal. It is definitely vastly superior to the first one in that it's all Sanderson sisters the entire time rather than making you wait for it. Raul, how about you? So while I was traveling, I did get an opportunity to watch some streaming content. One of the streaming content I did see was Me Time on Netflix. It's the buddy comedy starring Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg. I am a sucker for buddy comedies. I enjoyed Vacation Friends on Hulu, and I figured this would be in line with that. It is thematically the same. There there is a formula to buddy comedies where buddies get in trouble, buddies have a falling out, and then buddies get back together. <laughs> that is your boilerplate. And this one doesn't vary from uh, from the formula. Unfortunately, there are elements to this movie that I, uh, I didn't particularly enjoy. There just isn't that much funny in it. Kevin Hart does his best. Mark Wahlberg plays Mark Wahlberg. It's just who he is in this. There are generally in a buddy comedy elements where the buddies do something wrong and then they do things to redeem themselves at the end. And I felt that the redemption arc really wasn't very strong in this one. It kind of fell flat at the end. It's not a great movie, but it doesn't have to be. That's the way these Netflix movies are. They're a way to pass some time. And like when you're sitting on an airplane uh, with uh, little to no internet access, if you've got something downloaded on your laptop, this is what you watch. I will forget about this movie in a little bit, but in the meantime, it was a good enough way to spend a couple of hours. Tim, how about you? So yeah, I gave in and watched She-Hulk and it's terrific. If someone had said, imagine a legal dramedy, but the main character and most of the clients have superpowers, I probably would have been on board from the start because it's it's very funny. I love the fourth wall breaks. That's, that's entirely my thing. Uh, I had no idea from just the, seeing the memes before watching the show that the whole Madison and Longers thing was only like a couple scenes, but she just, they just steal the entire thing. And, and that just absolutely killed me. So I, I get why the internet exploded at that one. Um, I think the most surprising thing was I definitely remember Jamila Jamil being announced in the cast. And then when she talks and has an American accent, that like totally blew my mind. The best part for me about that is she's basically playing her sister Camila's character on The Good Place. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, actually, yeah, that, that I think about it, that that's exactly right. That, that And that's amazing. Oh, my gosh. And she's, right. she's got the vocal fry perfect, too. Yeah. Also, I would now absolutely run through a brick wall for Tatiana Maslany because she is an incredible actress. Holy cow. 
Yeah, this show is great. As we've mentioned in the ratings, these episodes are sitcom length of about 30 minutes. You can watch the whole thing in the afternoon, which is what I did. The finale will arrive this week. I love that it just doesn't take itself too seriously and also still fits in the MCU. So yes, more of that, please. Thank you. If you think about it, the viral story that, you know, had everyone talking about Madison is just two people sitting on a sofa talking about alcohol for nights. Yes. <laughs> but it's so entertaining. And- <laughs> And like, you know, you know, 15-year-old Soprano spoilers. Yes. Yeah. Tim, do you have any comments on the CGI? It didn't bother me. I thought I I thought it was fine. I mean, it's 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 a TV show. It's not a you know two hundred million dollar Marvel movie. I'm okay with it. Yeah, I have to say because it's not at the core of the plot. I mean, they could have gone the opposite way and made it so that like anytime she turned into She Hulk, she almost looked cartoonish, and mm-hmm. I I would have accepted that. The fact that they tried as hard as they did to make the CGI look good maybe distracts from it, and it, it would have been just fine if if the CGI looked even worse you can tell half the time and they show her you know go back and forth it's like almost like they there are scenes where she definitely did and they didn't include it you know you see it sometimes when it's part of the story or the, or the plot but sometimes she's just like you see her all of a sudden she's jennifer and then all of a sudden she's she, she hulk and they don't show her show her transform and i wonder if that was intentional mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah all right david what are you going to talk about Kim was very generous in letting me gush over Werewolf by Night because she could have just as easily taken it. Folks, this is a 50-minute thing on Disney+, Plus, and I can be just as terse as I need to be here. Watch it. I mean, it's as simple as that. Give yourself some happiness this Halloween season. We were joking a couple of weeks ago about how much trash there is released every October that's a Halloween story that's just there for cheap eyeballs. This is different. This is a loving tribute to Lon Chaney type stories of a bygone era. And it's damn near perfect. Watch it. Watch it. (laughs) All right. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at streamingintothevoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us and giving us a review in your favorite podcast player. Be sure to watch for us again next week.